Well, it wasn't the prettiest game, but it was definitely enough for the Denver Nuggets to finally get over the hump and win their first ever NBA championship after 47 years of the organization joining the NBA. And my initial reactions to it, Jokic gets a ring, finals MVP. Is this top 10 all-time center right now category we're going to put him in? Jamal Murray as well, winning the championship right beside him. Is he going to be a guard that we have to look out for the future now to potentially in current active NBA players be a top 10, maybe even top 5 down the line? And of course, from the other side of things, the Miami Heat, ape seed, probably one of the best ape seeds of all time in the NBA, especially the NBA postseason that wise, compared to the 1999 New York Knicks. But in overall, a lot of Nuggets talk. Of course, congratulations to everyone on that roster, especially Ish Smith and Jeff Green and those veterans that have just been waiting for an opportunity to get to this moment, and they definitely took advantage of it. The Denver Nuggets, 2023 NBA Finals champions, will go into that. The game itself of Game 5, and a little bit of free agency already starting with Fred Van Vliet for the Toronto Raptors, not going back to Toronto for next year. Actually declined a $25 million additional year. Crazy, in my honest opinion, because I don't even think there's going to be even $25 million waiting for him on the other side of this free agency in this summer. But we'll go into that and more on this episode of Courtside. This episode of the Courtside Podcast is brought to you by YouTube channels Hiram Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content on YouTube weekly. If you're looking to really try to find something to make up for your summer, I mean, right now the NBA season just ended. So until we get to free agency later on July and, of course, the summer league, the NBA draft on June 22nd, I mean, what what are you going to do? I'll tell you what. Go to YouTube right now. Look up these two channels, Howard Temptation and Captain Barbo. Captain Barbo right now on YouTube has surpassed 3,000 YouTube followers and subscribers and Huge guy on Dark Soul games. Every single time you you know prop up a little bit of his one of his videos, it's always a good laugh. They're not too long of a videos. If you have a lunch break, whatnot, eat and then watch some comedy right there. And also Brian Temptation, they're back on the Sonic trail. If you like Sonic reviews, well, they just looked at Sonic Crusaders, and it is also a laugh as they go into their own critiques. And of course, the rest of the Hyrule Temptation channel as well has other things such as Jackbox and other games that they go on with their friends. But do not forget to subscribe and look at those channels on YouTube. And of course, follow and subscribe to the podcast. As I mentioned before to open up this podcast, this was not the most beautiful game of basketball. Like shooting was just not anywhere near it. Three-point shooting in general. I mean, because I had the stats right in front of me. But like just looking at the game, and this is going to be a type of podcast where I don't look back at the game. um, Basically on a second time review. But... It was just really like, these guys cannot shoot from three at all. When you look at the Miami Heat overall from three tonight, we're talking about a team that shot 25.7% behind the arc. For Denver themselves, despite the fact they ended up winning at 94 to 89, 17.9%. This was a 1990s NBA brawl fight inside the paint. And it was a game that Miami looked like they were bound to win. With that type of situation. The same way they went into the New York Knicks series in round two. The same way they had the same mentality against the Boston Celtics. And a lot of times, defensively at least, this was a Miami Heat team that was willing to go inside to dominate teams. And funny enough, it was working through the first half. Where they even had, I believe, close to a double-digit lead. 
But it really all started with Bam Adebayo, who was phenomenal as per usual throughout this series. And also, the episode that it said to begin off these NBA Finals, Bam Adebayo needed to have a series for the Heat to even have a chance. And a lot of games, Bam has showed up. He has multiple 20-point games here. And then, of course, tonight, he had 20 points, 12 rebounds, and all this being on the floor for about 44 minutes. So about four, three minutes of rest. It was definitely a Bam Adebayo game that they needed, maybe a little bit more. Of course, they did not get the result. But yes, Bam Adebayo led the way for the Miami Heat to start off. I think that even the first basket was off a turnover, which Bam Adebayo later on scored with. And then for the rest of the cast, for the Miami Heat, Kevin Love starting, of course, as per usual at this point. Max Drews, Gabe Vincent, Jimmy Butler. I, what I don't understand, and especially for guys like Max Drews and Gabe Vincent, who have been phenomenal during the Eastern Conference playoffs, right? Whether that be against Milwaukee in round one, whether that be three-point shooting behind the arc. These were guys that were always there in the moment, giving you accurate looks and making and drilling down these accurate looks from three-point range. I look at this game. This was the worst Gabe Vincent game, I think, of these NBA playoffs. I kid you not. I think this was probably the worst Gabe Vincent game I've seen him and the worst part about it, in Game 5 of the NBA Finals, elimination game. Gabe Vincent has won 6 points, 3-13 and 13 overall from the floor. And then from 3, not a single shot made. 0-4 from 3-point range. And Max Drews as well. And he's just been struggling. I mean, what has it been, like 20%? Somewhere in that range. Shooting from 3, from open ones at least, in these NBA Finals. 1-6 from 3. 5-12 overall from the floor. So he did adjust his game later on. Uh, he ended up going more inside the paint, especially that with the Miami Heat. You know, they're trying to fix themselves uh, right behind Bam and Abayo, going up-tempo and transition, getting guys more inside. Like, I mean, Max Struess had like eight rebounds in this game. You don't really see a lot of games where Struess gets eight to even close to six rebounds in a game, especially in the NBA Finals where there's guys like the Denver Nuggets with Jokic, Aaron Gordon, who have size. So... This was a Miami Heat team that had to adjust on the fly. They weren't making any of the shots, which looked like to be something that was going on through games three and four. Um, but for the Heat, it looked like it kept on working. It kept on going. And even Jokic himself, he got in foul trouble pretty early, though. I think in the first quarter, he only had about two to three points and had two personal fouls on his name through his first 10 to 13 minutes of play. You know, there was a moment where I really thought, Man, this is really about to go back to Miami. This can easily go back to Miami. But there were moments where the bench players throughout that entire second quarter that they had, where the Miami Heat ended up leading it 24-22 after the first, second quarter. You know, of course, Miami did end up going off with 27 points. But Denver struggled themselves in Metro 4, shooting 17% overall from three-point range. And then you look at the floor in the night itself for the Denver Nuggets shooting 45%. This was a team that got Caldwell Pope going, that got Bruce Brown going off the bench, who ended up having 10 points to finish off the game, and even saw some shining from, believe it or not, Aaron Gordon, who only had four points, however, seven rebounds, was a presence on defense, had two steals in this one, even a block, and honestly, I thought probably the best defensive player on this team tonight, despite, of course, the big steal, which we'll go into later on. Um, at the end of the game. But the Denver Nuggets, 
they were still in the game, despite having one of probably the worst shooting performances I've ever seen that team has had throughout this playoffs. And then the second quarter comes in, and the Miami Heat, they just throw duds. And I, I, I know I mentioned before that, you know, these were two teams that are shooting, you know, basically not even close to their standard. But when you look at the Miami Heat, third quarter, 20 points. Fourth quarter, 18 points. And if you think that, you know, by that point, that he probably lost by 10 or 20 points, Denver 26 in the third, 24 in the fourth. It was still a close game down the stretch. However, in the third, you saw Bruce Brown got subbed out for Michael Porter Jr. And Michael Porter Jr., MPJ, I really did think that he was going to have a better series this time around. He didn't really even have the close to a better game, really. Uh, but he did make his effect on the floor early on. He had 16 points, 13 rebounds. A lot of his production was done in the first half. Uh, however, when Bruce Brown came on the floor, when he was kind of struggling down the stretch, he put up some really clutch baskets. I mean, when I mean clutch baskets, I mean Bruce Brown helped his Denver team keep a short lead throughout the long way into the end of the game. So when you look at it, you got yourself Bruce Brown on the floor in probably the most crucial moment of your entire franchise's history. And there's a moment of the Miami Heat are down one point. I believe it was 90 to 89, I believe. Yeah, 90 to 89. Jimmy Butler has the ball down. And again, this is Jimmy Butler who has shown up for the Miami Heat. They're the star player. You want the ball in his hands if you're anyone on the Heat's roster, let alone the Heat's coaching staff. But for the fan base, watching Butler for the past few, you know, small games here and there, as well in the Eastern Conference playoffs, ever since after the first round, do you really want to have him with the ball in this moment? I know a lot of Heat fans, when they were looking after that first round, they were saying, man, Butler's not the same. Butler's giving you, yeah, 20 points, 25 points, whatever, but he's not. he doesn't have that clutch gene that we're expecting of him compared to last year's playoff run, compared to what we saw in the first round, in the playoff run they had so far, in the, going through the East in general. But Jimmy Butler... For some reason, I have no idea why, drove into a play. And again, this is like the um, basically there's like seconds left on the clock, about 45 to 50 uh, seconds re- remaining in the game. And again, elimination game with the heater down one. They can regain and take the lead late. Jimmy Butler takes on the ball himself on the left wing. He's going to drive in on, I forgot the player's name, so I do apologize, but on Devin Nuggets player, which is, oh, I believe actually Jamal Murray, funny enough. So he drives in on Jamal Murray inside, and he gets automatically met with Nikola Jokic. And Jokic and Murray right there at the bottom, just double-team Butler. And in that situation, Eric Spolster has two timeouts. You got guys that are just out there on the perimeter waiting for Butler to do something. And Butler picks up his dribble, and he's just stuck there in the paint. So it's either a three seconds, you go up, prave to get fouled. And really, that's the only two options you got. Unless the other guys in Miami want to move around. But no. Jimmy Butler ends up looking towards Max Struess. Passes the ball towards Max Struess. And Caldwell Pope. And now two-time champion Caldwell Pope. As crazy as that sounds. Was able to get the steal. And automatically later on. Turned into some free throw shots. For the Denver Nuggets. And now the Heat were down three points. Still doable. You can still make a three. Come back in the game in overtime and salvage your season for a game six if you're the Miami Heat. But guess what happens in the next possession? 
A lot of work on the top of the perimeter. Denver, give them a lot of credit. Play great man-to-man defense, high pressure, great half-court defense. When they even crossed the line, it was like, man, these guys are not getting close to the paint at all. They're expecting them to shoot a three, and they're looking immediately for Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson almost fumbled the ball. However, he had to do a quick handoff to Jimmy Butler, who was just hooked up a three, heavily contested, and, of course, missed. Uh, kind of grazed the back of the rim over to the backboard. And then another rebound for the Denver Nuggets, which led to more free throw shots, which led to, of course, the Denver Nuggets able to finish off Game 5, 94-89, to take their first ever championship in franchise history. For Butler himself, I don't really understand, let alone, and this could also be Eric Spolstra, this could also be the entire team, this could be anybody, but for Jimmy Butler himself, I don't understand where you have this type of situation of you're down a point, seconds left, you're driving on on their second best player. You don't call for a screen. You don't ask for a little bit of rotation. You just want isolation. You're going to let your season lie on isolation basketball. It doesn't make sense. And for me personally, I just can't stand the fact that the Miami Heat season came down to isolation basketball with Jimmy Butler. And of course, as I mentioned before, a lot of people on that Heat team are very comfortable with Jimmy Butler taking those last shots. But how many times has those shots really worked out? And again, it's 50-50. I know MJ had a bunch of those shots that never worked out. I know Magic Johnson had a lot of shots like that that didn't work out. I know that LeBron has a lot of shots that didn't work out at all when he took the last bit. But if you ask me in that situation, Bam Adebayo has been your best player throughout these entire NBA Finals if you're the Miami Heat. You're trying to tell me you don't want to give Bam for a chance for a mid-range? On a quick switch, get Jamal Murray on Bam Adebayo and it has the little high difference? You don't want to have that type of work going on? You don't want to have an off-ball screen to set up Duncan Robinson or possibly Max Struess, who again, both guys kind of shooting, but Duncan Robinson himself, now for those who are curious, had five points, two of six from the floor, only made one three that night. Either way, there was no other thing that Eric Spolstra can think of besides Bam can't get the ball. It's got to be Jimmy. It has to be Jimmy. And I think that's the way that, you know, the end of this season for the Miami Heat has gone. Jimmy Butler, you know, it's a ride-or-die type of franchise behind Jimmy Butler for the Miami Heat. But they really needed Bam and Abayo to show up, which he did. But I felt like they didn't want to give Bam the keys to these type of moments. And I think that's going to be something you have to watch if you're a Miami Heat fan. Do they give Bam and Abayo more of these type of moments, more of these type of advantages late in games where you have Bam having the ball in his hands? Because I think he's really developing every single year. He's been getting better. Mid-range game, getting better. Defensively, of course. Being able to guard through all five positions. And that could be arguable for any type of player. But for Bam and Obayo, he has developed his game to be an all-star. And now through two final appearances in his young NBA career, it's getting to a point where I'm really comfortable. He can lead a team by himself. So for Bam and Obayo, potentially, maybe there is that type of future where the Miami Heat just say, hey, here's the keys. Go crazy. We need to win a game. Do it. You're a huge usage guy. We need you for usage. But that's been Jimmy Butler so far. And for Butler, who has a little bit of a questionable three-point range, who has a little bit of questionable um, just aggression to himself. Of course, his mid-range fadeaway is something that will always be in his bag. But he's been in big moments. There's a reason why the Heat are in this place in the first place. It's because of Jimmy Butler through his first round. And, of course, his leadership. 
But in that situation, I just thought Bam Adebayo really should have gotten that shot. But now to Denver. Uh, the Denver Nuggets. And I just think it's really crazy. Like, DeAndre Jordan. If, if, if you told me this in, like, 2015 or whatever, I would have never believed you. But DeAndre Jordan getting a ring before Chris Paul and Blake Griffin is just ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, whoever thought about that? But, yes, I mean, so, like, DeAndre Jordan even got minutes in Game 5. Actually, let me little check right now how much minutes he got. I think it was probably less than five. But let's just see. Yeah, three minutes in this one. He did get a block, though. So that is a stat he will always keep together. DeAndre Jordan getting one block in the NBA Finals. Yeah, it's more than Blake Griffin or Chris Paul. Well, maybe not Chris Paul. I don't know how many blocks he had. In. Either way. So DeAndre Jordan, as well as other guys such as Reggie Jackson... Itch Smith, which I talked about before. I don't think I, I don't even think I remember this guy being on the Denver Nuggets until I ended up watching the NBA Finals. And I mean, again, I'd be watching as much Denver games as I possibly can. Of course, I can't be watching all of them. But the fact that Itch Smith is even on this team is ridiculous. I thought that guy was out of the NBA. But there was a lot of veteran guys, some journeyman guys on this NBA roster on the bench that really did deserve it. Especially Jeff Green, who has been through multiple teams. Whether that be the Orlando Magic, the Boston Celtics, whether that be teams such as the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, he's just been everywhere. And this was, what, his second time in the NBA Finals, I believe. So he finally got over the hump there. And a good job for getting a championship there for his career. And if he retired today, I mean, I think it would be a pretty good career. Not Hall of Fame first ballot, nothing like that. But you never know. Maybe down the line, maybe 40 years from now. Maybe when they're looking for a name, they'll find one in Jeff Green. So when you look at the starting lineup, though, I think the craziest thing, though, is the fact that Jokic started this game so terribly offensively and looked to be real, really in trouble in fouls. But he only had three fouls, and he found a way to get a double-double in this one. 28 points to lead the team with 16 rebounds. And he only assisted four times. I think down the stretch when Denver kind of realized, and I think Jokic even went into this in the uh, press conferences after the game. But down the stretch, you know, the Denver Nuggets said, hey, we're not making these threes. It's going to be a type of game we have to attack the paint. So guess where they went to? Jokic. Jokic with 28 points. And from the shooting itself, he only took three shots from three-point range. Overall in the night, he took 16 from the floor. He was 12 and 16. So to give you an idea, he was automatic inside the painted area. There was nothing stopping him, not even Bam in a bio, not Cody Zeller, Phantom of the Zeller, because again, as I mentioned before, as always, he's kind of a ghost of himself in these NBA Finals. But Jokic, he was there leading the team. You know, I mean, as he said in his own press conference, that's the thing that really pushed this Denver team down the stretch of getting the comeback and to get the victory. They realized we can't really shoot threes. We got to attack the paint. And they were aggressive. I thought they were totally aggressive. You know, Jamal Murray didn't have the best game playing 41 minutes. And, of course, he's had that kind of wraparound from a burnt hand that he suffered in Game 3 of these finals. Really random to see that. But, again, a huge factor because I believe that was his right-hand shooting hand. And he had ended up at 14 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. He shot 40% from the floor, terrible from 3-point range. 2-7 and seven from 3-point range. But, again, that was not the factor that mattered. Michael Porter Jr. struggled in that first. Took a lot of threes. One and six from three. When Denver decided to adjust themselves, you saw this guy getting a lot of second chance points. 
You saw this guy really getting himself involved. I mentioned before, 13 rebounds. Out of those 13 rebounds, two of them are offensive rebounds, but however, it led to points. Uh, defensively, kind of a liability. That's the reason kind of why Bruce Brown got in there, who became even more efficient as well on offense down the stretch. But this was a Denver team that I thought was playing their best defense. Either they were playing their best defense or the Miami Heat were just playing like the regular season in February type of Miami Heat basketball. But this was a Denver team that's defense always stood out to me against this Miami Heat team during these NBA Finals. Only one game did the Heat score more than 100 points. That was game two where they scored 111 points in their only win in this series. And besides that, the Heat were held to game one, 93 points. Game three, 94 points. Game four, 95 points. And then game five, 89 points. This Denver Nuggets team is ridiculous. From size and, of course, the matchup you always look at, Gabe Vincent going against a guy like Bruce Brown or Michael Porter Jr. going against a guy like Max Strus. It's not very really a fair matchup man-to-man defensively for the Miami Heat to go against Denver. But at the same time, it's not a really fair matchup for the Denver Nuggets to really go up against a Miami Heat team where you have all this type of talk of, man, this is a team that doesn't care. They're going into this series. And a lot of these games have been pretty close. I mean, there's been times where even game one, where the Denver Nuggets felt like they're going to blow out the ceiling for the 20-point lead to open up the NBA Finals. The Heat almost made it into a little bit of a comeback. They pushed, I believe, what, nine, seven points in the last few minutes of that game. So this was the Heat team that always was close. But Denver, they didn't care about, you know, Miami Heat coming in, second half, comebacks, down 10-plus, always making the comeback in these playoffs. They didn't care, and they stood still. They stood tall. So if this was a Denver team that really did not look shaken at all through these five games, and for great reason, they knew exactly what they were dealing with. And in my honest opinion, I think that was kind of one of the biggest things. Confidence in the Denver Nuggets over that of the Miami Heat. Because a lot of teams struggled in that. Milwaukee struggled in the confidence. The New York Knicks, after you know what we saw from that game three in the second round, and of course followed by that game four, it was a huge struggle for New York to figure out, man, do we really have enough to get past the hump with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle? Because, of course, Jalen Brunson did everything in that series. But, again, that was in the past. Now we're looking at this series, and it looked like Denver had enough for the Miami Heat. But with now these NBA Finals in the 2023 NBA season finished, what does it look like now for both of these teams after the fact? I mean, going first with Denver, I think the biggest question mark is Bruce Brown. I mean, their starting five is basically settled in past the 2023-2024 season. Uh, But when you look at Bruce Brown's contract, who is up right now, and from, well, the words of specifically Michael Porter Jr. after the game, he looks like he's going to get paid. And everyone's really happy for him for that reason. And there should be a really great reason why he'll get paid. The real question is, what is the contract going to look like? This is a guy, Bruce Brown, that has been huge pieces in a lot of playoff teams, especially playoff teams that had... A lot of contention hopes, such as the Brooklyn Nets when they had KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving that first year in 2021, and now as well here with the Denver Nuggets in 2023. So this is a huge, either you look at him as a role player or whatnot, six man coming off the bench, this is a huge guy you need on a contention roster. So for Bruce Brown, I think he does get himself paid. I don't think there should be a reason why not to get him paid, but if you're looking at a contract, but I would say... The cap, the maximum that 
teams are probably going to be looking at right now for him will be at 22 to 20 million a year. Maybe even 17 million. Around that range of 17 and a half to 20 million or so a year. I think that's probably the room you're looking at right now what Bruce Brown is going to be on the market. Now the Denver Nuggets, do they have enough cash space to spend on that? Uh, we're talking about a team that has a guy in Jokic where he's literally getting paid more than $200 million for his contract. And again, as I mentioned before, his entire lineup behind him in the starting lineup is getting paid as well multiple years. So the starting lineup itself, it's more than, it's getting close to that of a billion dollars for five guys. If you're looking to keep Bruce Brown, which is going to be a huge piece with the Denver Nuggets, will they be able to do it? I believe so. But also, depending on it, is Bruce Brown going to ask for a lot? If this guy's going to ask for $30 million a year, which I feel like there will be situations where guys will be asking for $30 million a year, I don't know if Denver's going to give it to him. And this is, again, maybe they do it just because coming off with a high horse, won the NBA championship, maybe they talk about the deal during the parade. But is Bruce Brown really worth $30 million? I don't believe so. Again, huge piece. Don't get me wrong. But $30 million? And I feel like Bruce Brown will be asking for that for a couple of teams. Because if he's coming off a championship, any right-in-the-mind NBA player will be doing the same. Be asking a big contract, looking for the biggest one out there in the market. So that'll be a huge thing for the Denver Nuggets coming off into the offseason. And then for the Miami Heat, the Heat themselves, it's a weird situation. Because Kyle Lowry has one more year on his contract. So next season will be his last one for the Miami Heat. And then you also have these rumors of Damian Lillard possibly making his way to South Beach, which is, I kind of think it's kind of bogus. I think it was just coming based off questions from, yo, if you were to join another team, who would that be? Or if you were traded to another team, which one would be your best one? I I really don't dive deep into that Damian Lillard talk. I really don't believe Damian Lillard is going to South Beach. Let alone if Pat Riley, the Miami Heat's front office, even has enough to get him to South Beach. We're talking about probably a sign-and-trade. Got to be a lot of first-round picks where the Heat do not have. A lot of assets which the Heat potentially could have. But also, for how many time of a yearly salary would these guys even stay in Portland if they did that trade? What, Kyle Howard's going to be part of the trade for one year? I mean, you got to figure out a way to re-sign... Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, who Gabe Vincent, I think, should be coming back. And I think it'll be the number one thing for the Miami Heat, besides, of course, finding another guy at small forward, which I actually going into that. There's a situation which I think would be very beneficial for the Miami Heat, but would be so huge in the NBA landscape. It would shatter some things in the Eastern Conference. Chris Middleton is a free agent this summer. If Chris Middleton decides he wants to go down to Miami compete with the Miami Heat, who have been to two championship runs in the sense of getting to the you know the main stage, the NBA Finals, in the past two times out of the past four years. He can do it. That roster, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, and maybe you go get yourself Bam in a bio with Brooke Lopez, who is also going to be a free agent this summer. Maybe that could work. Two Milwaukee guys, they leave the Milwaukee Bucks, who have a new head coach, which again, in Griffin, it's a real possibility. Maybe they don't want to be there for that. Maybe they don't want to you know, be there for a potential rebuild if the Bucks are not able to get over this entire departure of Mike Buhoser and, of course, the first round that has happened of this year. 
I mean, Chris Middleton could easily be coming to the Miami Heat. So definitely look out for that. But as I mentioned before, Max Struess, he should be back with the Miami Heat. But I don't think you're going to pay big dollars for him. And if there is a team out there that's going to pay big dollars for him, Max Struess will probably take that, but it'll be the worst situation for him. I can't imagine that guy succeeding in any other system and in any other place than the Miami Heat. And for Gabe Vincent, he should be the starting point guard next year. I really do believe he should be the starting point guard for the Miami Heat next year. But there's just something. I don't believe he's going to come back to this group because I don't think the group's going to pay him. I really don't. And it's really weird to say that, especially for the Miami Heat who have known to pay ridiculous amounts of money for guys like Hassan Whiteside and Tyler Johnson in the past. But I just don't believe that the Miami Heat are going to go into their bank account and say, hey, you know, there's a lot of guys in free agency, but we got to figure out Gabe Vincent. Well, how much room are we going to have for guys in free agency if we pay Gabe Vincent? If we go, and for example, I'm going to go into this right after this, the Fred Van Vliet issue. What if Miami goes after Fred Van Vliet and that just kills Gabe Vincent's chances to coming back to Miami? I mean, there's a lot of things right now. And in that guard position, it's very open. Like, I don't think people understand that. Like, Kyle Lowry, yeah, he has one more year. Obviously, veteran presence. Obviously, it can give you some efficiency. But that point guard position, if Gabe Vincent does not return, that is a very open position in Miami. And for a lot of players, that's the destination they're really looking to contend and compete with. So, definitely look out for that in this offseason that starts in July. In the Fred Van Vliet part, I, just, I don't believe it. And for those who don't look at Fred Van Vliet with a close magnifying glass... This is a guy that has been developing throughout his entire NBA career, won the championship in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard and that phenomenal Toronto Raptors team that had a really special run. And since then, the Raptors haven't really been able to find themselves back into the mix. I mean, we talk about a second round exit against the Boston Celtics in the bubble of 2020, and they barely even get themselves to be a play-in team for the play-in tournament this season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you look at it, for Fred Van Vliet, it's, he's just been kind of at this point where it's like, is he a, he's just a 20-point guy? Is he like a 15-point guy per game type of guy? Is he going to move things around in the offense? Uh, I mean, he does have a lot of great facilitating, and I think that he does have a bag himself that he can work offensively. But, I mean, just the overall stats for those who are number crunchers in the NBA. 19.3 per game, 4 rebounds, 7.2 assists per game. And this is coming off of six years of experience in the NBA. And the specific deals, which I do apologize because I said $25 million, it's actually $22.8 million. Uh, basically reported by Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN. Uh, he is the basically the first domino, as well just put it down, of the uh, free agency as the all-star guard Van Vliet declining a $22.8 million player option. And will become an unrestricted free agency in July. Who picks him up? That, I mean, that that's the one thing I really have a question about. We're talking about $22.8 million, So what he's looking for? $30 million, $35 million we're talking about? I mean, I've even seen some NBA players asking for like $40 million. I think Fred is at least at the cap worth $28 million a year. And the crazy thing about that, that means that he's probably the second best player of the team that he'll probably be on. So who goes out and get him? I mean, at this point, maybe the Grizzlies? 
you know, you got a situation where you have Dylan Brooks out. John Morant might not be going back into the NBA until midway through next season. And for the Grizzlies themselves, I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., he's going to be with somebody. He has to be with somebody. I think the Grizzlies are bound to make a splash in free agency. So it's got to be Fred Van Vliet going to the Memphis. That's honestly my first pick. But, of course, you got other situations. I mean, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets, they might do something to pull a trigger to get some big, you know, piece to add on with Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson. They might even go ahead and find a way to get even maybe some guys involved as well uh, to help out Toronto. But in, in reality perspective, I, I just hate the fact that Fred is leaving the Raptors. This is a team that took him as an undrafted free agent. Basically, he molded his career with the Raptors. And that entire system with Nick Nurse, the only other thing I can think of, does he go to Philadelphia with Nick Nurse? Maybe a little reunion right there with his former head coach? I mean, I don't see why not. It's not too crazy, to be honest with you. I mean, imagine a roster where you have James Harden, Fred Van Vliet, and also... With Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, P.J. Tucker, if he decides to stay or whatnot. And then Tyrese Maxey comes off the bench. I mean, Maxey, again, good enough to start on that team. But definitely, if you have that type of additional, you know, second help, and Maxey would bound to win six men of the year if that ever did happen, it could be huge for Philadelphia. He was still looking to get past the second round. So, for Fred VanVleet himself, he's looking to get a bag. Hopefully he gets a bag. But we'll be with that and more for the next episode of Courtside. We'll be doing a lot more of the draft coming up. Maybe we'll do a little draft board uh, for you guys as well. And free agency. Yeah, look at the names. I'll give you those names in the next few episodes later on this summer. But thank you again for listening on. And I hope to see you guys later.